Hi, this is uh, Joe Holland with Property Management Systems, and I uh, thank you for joining us today. And we are excited to have Bayot and Missy from the Buckner Group here today to talk about one of the hot issues we deal with in our company daily, which is the insurance laws and who's responsible for what when you have a water leak in your unit. Um, this law changed substantially in 2011 with uh, a law uh, called SB 167. And I think um, uh, Bayot and Missy can help us to understand that and kind of their role and how they can help you uh, when you have a water claim. Okay. Well, thank you for having us here, Joe. I uh, appreciate the opportunity to speak to you and hopefully some homeowners and board members and your property managers on how to deal with insurance claims. Uh, as you said, um, uh, prior to 2011, insurance for HOAs wasn't very well regulated and, and what the uh, 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 boards and legislators and property managers and advocates did here in Utah is actually did us an, a favor to streamline uh, uh, insurance on who, who has to cover what. So since 2011, most HOAs that would fall under the either Condo or Association Act have to follow certain guidelines that really make it beneficial for a unit owner, uh, um, the, the, the boards, the community managers and people dealing with it. So there's no ambiguity between uh, the parties that could be affected by a claim because a lot of HOAs have shared walls or, or you have a neighbor upstairs and downstairs. And things, if things are not clear in the event of a claim or even a maintenance situation, you're going to have hurt feelings, you're going to have ambiguity, you're going to have uh, uh, lawsuits, and worst of all, you might have coverage, but because it wasn't clear, uh, insurance companies couldn't or would not pay. And so the law has, has, uh, has streamlined things and, and is, is, is making everybody aware of what their duties are. And so, so as a homeowner, you, you now know that no matter what the board wants to do or, or the next door neighbor wants to do, or your manager wants to do, uh, the law is behind you to help you navigate uh, a, a claim. And, 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 and it has actually worked quite well. When we're dealing with lenders from, 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 uh, from a national perspective or e even national companies dealing with us, in Utah, they say they really like dealing with Utah because there's a lot of clarity uh, as opposed to their states because they have to look at the governing documents, which sometimes are not very clear, they're very outdated, and in Utah we have clarity on how we can conduct our HOA business. So I believe this has really helped uh, uh, homeowners, boards, and communities dealing with claims. Joe, thanks so much for having us. As a property manager, what are the largest claims you see? What claims do you see most often or complaints about claims you hear most often from your unit owners? You know, Missy, that's a great question because it's one of the biggest problems that we see in our office, and that is uh, water intrusion from one unit to the next. Um, uh, this week, I've probably had three or four leaks from uh, the unit above into the unit below. And we all, always get the call from the uh, owner below uh, 
that has damage uh, wanting to know how their units going to get fixed and that's as you know that's a difficult question and it's hard to answer but I'd love to hear your ideas on that and how you handle that. It's definitely the the highest amount of claims we see as well and you're right always the unit below wants to um, have the unit above pay for it and Utah law just defines things a little bit differently. Common sense would say that that owner above should be responsible, right? And that, right. That, that's the, but that's not the case. Is that right? Is that in general that's not the case? And there is a, there's always an exception to 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 that doctrine. But in general, the 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 the, the problem needs to be addressed, uh, and 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 then there could be some legal recourse against the at fault party. So when that means like fixing the water heater or the broken pipe or the toilet. The, the number one, the topic, the, the triage or the first important right. thing is getting stop. the leak stopped. Yep, stop the damage. That's first. Stop the damage. and So now we've got the damage done, and then I call you guys, right? <laughs> right. Well, yes, you do. Now, here's the thing. We get like a lot of homeowners calling us or maybe your office, and they say we have damages, we have a claim. And under Utah law, uh, we have to follow a due process. Because under Utah law, it says, in the event of a claim, the unit owners that are affected by, by a claim are responsible for their share of the deductible. Most HOAs these days in Utah with uh, shared wall insurance, we have a 5, 10, maybe 20 some thousand dollar deductible. We see most deductibles around $10,000. And so, so usually those, that damage is less... It's a lot of money, and it's it's a lot of money for anybody. But it's usually less than ten thousand dollars, right? Is that correct? Yeah. And so, so we have a claim, but really, it doesn't trigger an event on the HOA master policy because it doesn't meet the deductible. And most importantly, the board of directors has jurisdiction over having to know the law grants them the right to know what's going on and they can look at the claim through the bids and see if it meets the deductible whether it necessitates the filing a claim and it's if over deductible the HOA has the jurisdiction and can determine whether well, it's $50 over the deductible the board may want to say we're just going to pay out of pocket because it makes no sense to have a uh, business a, decision yeah business decision of a black market against against the, the, the HOA and so therefore those claims need to be run through the board of directors because the law specifically grants them the right and jurisdiction over that and so uh, if everybody participates in, 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 in the, uh, the effort the, the proper protocol would be each affected party gets estimates on the, on, on the uh, disaster cleanup and, and what the cost would be to remediate all of these items we present it to the board of directors the board of directors makes a decision whether they want to file a claim or not. Or more importantly, if, like you said, Joe, it might be below the deductible, and, and therefore then the affected unit owners would be responsible uh, for their share of the deductible. And maybe we should talk about like uh, how, how that would work uh, from, from a claims perspective, and then also we can dive into the liability, you know, the, for the at fault party, right, Missy? Right. Um, do, do you want to maybe elaborate to us on, on how unit owners would split the deductible uh, in the event of a claim? As an example, you have a water heater that breaks or you have a dishwasher hose that, that snaps and now we'll pick on you, Joe, you're the downstairs neighbor. You have 
$7,000 worth of damage and Missy has $500 of damages and the deductible is $10,000. Do you want to maybe kind of help us navigate that? So in that scenario where we only have $7,500 worth of damage, each unit is going to be responsible for whatever damage is within their unit. So um, where it might get a little larger is if maybe we have a $10,000 deductible but $11,000 worth of damage. So if the first unit still has $7,000 and the second unit has $4,000 worth of damage, they're going to split that deductible in accordance with the percentage of damage to their unit. Okay, and then the HOA would, would, would have to make a decision whether they'd want to file the $1,000 claim or just pay it out of, out of, out of pocket. Um, and then let's pick on you again, Joe. Um, you know, you had your water heater for 25 years. It's a Sears water heater when they were making really good water heaters. <laughs> Actually, I had one of those in my house, and, and they would not break. Uh, eventually, they do break, right? And one could say, well, that thing expired after 12 years or 16 years. It has a sticker on there that when those things expire, but you were just, you know, negligent or ignorant or whatnot, whatever they want to allege, and you didn't fix it, right? So the downstairs unit owner could say, well, the upstairs unit owner was negligent because he or she should have replaced it, but that's a legal question, and we found there's not a lot of traction because uh, uh, the, the law didn't really address that other than if it's a repeat offender, meaning you have a, a, a unit owner that constantly leaks the downstairs uh, place over over a, you know a multitude of events, refusing to fix the things. Um, the downstairs unit owner might have some legal recourse against the upstairs unit owner on a personal matter. When it comes to HOA insurance, though, we have hardly any recourse against the at-fault party because the intent of the, the uh, drafters of the law and, and, and the way they, they want us to handle insurance, if it's a covered claim, we ought to pay it and every unit owner isn't insured under the policy to avoid litigation against vulnerable parties. And you might say, well, the vulnerable party was the at-fault party. The legislators didn't want to have the insurance companies do a witch hunt against at-fault at unit owners go try and recover it. So if it's a covered claim, we, 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 we will pay for it, and the unit owners from the HOA master policy side, uh, it's not likely there's going to be any recourse unless it was intentional or malicious, willful, intense. There could be, there could be repercussions in that, uh, in that regard. So I hear the word subrogation. Is that what you're talking about? would be subrogation. So you as a unit owner with your water heater, your master policy would not would not have a good chance of subrogating against you. If, if I had a hundred of these claims, I'd be lucky to see two or three get subrogated. It just seems that it, it almost never happens. I, I'm not sure, sure I've even heard of one. Did the law subrogated. prevents the insurance company, the master policy, from subrogating against you as an also insured person. Like I said, every unit owner is an insured person. So it and the have... law says we, what we shall not or cannot subrogate or sue a, a unit owner that caused a claim. So it would have to be the unit below, so to, if it was the unit below HO6 policy, subrogating on the unit above, if it were to even happen, right. which is more likely you might get hit by lightning. And as a practical matter, subrogation is expensive. 
So the the claim has the size of the claim is what's going to determine most often whether something gets subrogated or not. And the unit owner's claim, you know, is usually allocated to about ten thousand dollars, so they're not going to try to fight that. We found misinformation, misconceptions. Uh, with insurance companies, professionals that are in Utah that don't know the laws and, and the HOA insurance world or out-of-state people that, that sometimes say, well, it's the unit owner upstairs that owes you the money or uh, we're going to try and recover that. We just, I don't see any practical uh, evidence that that's really happened. Or ever been successful. Yeah. Ever. We have had people waste uh, boards and managers and homeowners times and, and cause cost a ruckus because they're, they're, they're again, giving misinformation and then unit owners, uh, uh, you know... Go for it. Go for it. And then after a couple of days or weeks, they understand they're in the wrong after the HOA has to hire an attorney and set the record straight. Or usually we can calm, calm them down with, 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 with those things. Ultimately, the goal is to have coverage which the law is very favorable that of that. There's certain exemptions or exclusions. And, and also the law says a unit owner should be responsible for their share of the deductible. And most importantly, the law says you don't have to have personal insurance as a unit owner, but if you have a claim, you're responsible for it, and the HOA can collect on any money that they're outstanding. So it's really in the best interest of a unit owner to, to, to procure some of their own personal HL6 insurance. It's very inexpensive, covers a whole a plethora of things that, that the loss of use and liability, loss of rents if it's a rental unit, and your deductible obligation. Plus, if your furniture gets destroyed, your personal insurance will handle that. They're very inexpensive, and then you just turn that over to your unit owner policy, and they'll settle the claim. So you're really out of very little money in the event of a claim. Just while you were talking, it came to me that we've had a couple where they had to move out of their unit for a month or two. And my understanding, that HO6 actually picked that up. Correct. That, that's part of that policy. That's also. part of that policy. Additional living expense is what it's usually called. Additional and, living expense. Mm-hmm. I need to remember that. Yep. Additional living expenses. You have to put all your furniture in storage. You have to clean up your furniture. Uh, you have to wash all your stuff. It has to be sanitized. Uh, and, and you're living in a in a temporary rental place that could be very expensive. Yeah. So HL six policy, if it's done the right way, for very little money, we're talking a couple of hundred dollars a year. You can buy very sub- substantial insurance to protect you from that kind of an event. Thank you. Yeah, that brought up another uh, question for me that I get quite a bit. And uh, you know, as we talked about earlier. These uh, repairs are usually less than the association deductible, usually around ten to twenty-five thousand uh, dollars. When that happens, um, the owner has a deductible on their HO six policy, and I've seen that number be two hundred fifty dollars, five hundred dollars, a thousand. I don't, I don't know what all the options are, but it seems that this policy is designed to pick up the small items and it there isn't much difference between the $250 deductible and the five and the $1000 deductible cost-wise cost-wise right? cost premium yeah yeah so it seems like it's probably in if this is picking up the small things that maybe it would maybe be attractive to have a small deductible is on your HO6 policy is there a 
is there an advantage to that or what what do you see with the $1,000 deductible versus the $250 deductible? Do you have any recommendations on that? So typically when, when unit owners ask me this question, it, it kind of has to also have a bearing on what their personal financial situation is like. If they could weather a $1,000 deductible, it might make sense for them to do so, not necessarily because of the premium savings, but because on any insurance policy, you don't want to have a bunch of repetitive claims of the same situation. You're, you're going to run into trouble, whether it's a master policy or a unit owner's policy. But if financially a $250 deductible makes sense, then absolutely that's what you should look for. What are you seeing price-wise between a $250 deductible and a $1,000 deductible? I, I don't have an exact bearing, but it's within a couple hundred dollars, the difference. I would say that's me being very um, conservative. You'd, you'd be within probably less than $100 difference. Yeah. Because it's such a, and I'm not trying to say that in a derogatory way, but unit owner insurance or homeowner's insurance is a, is, is a little bit like a dime a dozen kind of insurance. There's not really a monetary advantage you go with an outrageously high deductible because they're not tooled to give you the credits or the discounts to go from a $250 to a $1,000 deductible, maybe talk $50 to $100. And, and like Missy said, hey, if you don't care, you could be out of pocket $500 or $1,000, then do it. But realistically, from a unit owner's perspective, it's not going to be uh, that big of a savings to go with a high deductible. Uh, and then you, you have to you know uh, pay the difference on that. I think that's probably number one is... Uh, problems that I see is, you know, the leak um, from unit above, no fault of their own to the unit below, and the damage. That's the number one problem. But number two is, you know, you have that $1,000 deductible, and your repairs are 3000 and you have a $1,000 deductible. There's not a lot of satisfaction there for using that policy. So I, I've tended in our HOAs to recommend a lower Right, more bang for your buck, right? More bang for your buck. (laughs) Joe, I have a question for you, and maybe we want to address it later, but as a property manager, what do you have to go through when a unit owner does not have insurance and you have this very similar claim? So it seems to me that we've got the word out pretty good to a lot of our HOAs that that they do need to get an HO6. And I see the overwhelming majority of people have the HO6. That's really good. But Missy, without question, there are people at every HOA, Absolutely. I would assume. Absolutely. I think every HOA has one where they just don't have the policy. Um, one of the big reasons that this was instituted was uh, to avoid a big expense for the homeowner. So the master policy will jump in after that uh, $10,000 deductible, but whether you have that um, HO6 or not, irregardless, that owner is responsible for that first $10,000. Is that, am I, exactly. have I been saying yep. that right? That's, That's exactly what Utah law says. The law requires the unit owners to be responsible for deductible, but it does not mandate that they have insurance. The legislator didn't feel uh, comfortable in mandating that. There is a mandate that the master policy exists, the board is required to do that, but the unit owners are not. And when we when we deal with claims, out of about 10 claims, two or three, things get a little funny or yeah. strange. 
And, and those are the t- typically the people <laughs> that have no insurance. Yes. Uh, uh, and, and you find out really quickly uh, they have no insurance. And, but the law has very, very strict guidelines on if they become a burden on the HOA and their neighbors, that the HOA has recourse against them uh, in a financial way. And so it's in everybody's best interest to make sure they procure the type of insurance or funds and means to deal with, 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 with a claim in, uh, it, 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 on their units. So I often, so I often hear that uh, it's a good practice for HOAs to budget for that deductible. So there should be, in your budget, you'd have like a $10,000, uh, you should just keep in reserves $10,000 for your deductible. If I'm not mistaken, that is addressed in Utah law as well, that you have to have a separate reserve set up to at least $10,000. But a lot of people would probably recommend you have at least the amount of the association's deductible. You have a very high likelihood that there is going to be a claim that is association property and does not involve a unit, or that you're going to have unit owners, potentially, that don't have insurance. So the big, that's an excellent point. I think probably the big picture of this whole thing, the reason that uh, we met as a group in 2011 to uh, make these changes was we'd had a few claims and we'd had some in our office from some of our HOAs where the owner on a top floor had leaked all the way down in a four-story building, caused about $100,000 worth of damage, and had no insurance policy. The way it used to work is that that owner was responsible uh, for that entire $100,000 bill. Yep, potentially. Potentially. Depending what, on what those CCNRs say. And so we go, so I went to that owner to, to figure that out, and uh, um, as luck would not have it, or had it, or the bad news was that he had just purchased his unit and didn't have a, an HO6. And he had no assets. So what it really came down to is that $100,000 actually came out of the association's reserve fund. So they had 200000 in their reserves. Cut right in half. Cut right in half. So that is quite honestly the main reason I think that we started meeting as a group was to solve that loophole. Yeah. And so there used to be a big loophole on the top end where HOAs could lose all the reserves, which is another big problem we need to talk about. Probably the biggest problem in Utah is not enough reserves. Absolutely. But now we have a little bit of problem on the bottom end, on the smaller end, it seems like, where there's a little there's some dissatisfaction from owners that have the leak in below. Right. The cause of damage. Um, but we don't have... The association losing all their uh, reserve funds. Right. Yeah, and I understand. Like when you go to the little claim, smaller claim, which when it happens to your unit, it's no longer a little claim. It's your yeah. unit that got flooded a, by the upstairs neighbor. It's a big neighbor deal. It's a big deal. Was, yeah. was 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 uh, careless with their unit, and you you could open up this for to litigation, but on on a small scale, it it there's no winners. Uh, uh, there's no winners in this. And, and so that's why the legislators said it's basically no-fault insurance. They call it something different, but to understand it that way, it just, if, 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 if it's in a regular you know, uh, HOA setting, uh, they're, not, they're not creating a, a, a mechanism to go and sue each other over those deductibles. 
That's why there's a percentage uh, a formula allocated on how to split the claim, regardless of fault. And we find it's even though it sometimes feels unfair, uh, in the grand scheme, over ten thousand or twenty thousand dollars, it really is the most efficient, fastest way to handle a claim and let the insurance companies just deal with it. And quite frankly, as a unit owner, your personal insurance is not going to care whether they're on the hook for three thousand or seven thousand dollars. They, they're just going to move on because, like I said, and now the dime a dozen kind of policy comes in handy. Because it's a dime a dozen insurance policy, it's, it's not really rated that highly. And they understand there's claims that are outside of your control because you're living in a condominium setting or homeowner setting and they still want your business. And so right now, that market is very aggressively priced, meaning companies want your business and they're not going to be extremely... Um, uh, 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 worried stringent, or stringent when there's a claim or two hitting one or two of these HL6 policies. Um, you know, one thing we may want to talk about is some, some nasty claims. Um, uh, uh, nasty claims or claims that are excluded or cause issues, uh, especially in older properties. Um, well, it was a nasty claim, you know, or is it, is it really one that it might, might be ambiguous, you know, or, or something that actually could lead to declination, exclusion. Um, what we what we what we what we know here in our discussion is the legislator and and, and the people that were involved, industry leaders with with association insurance, they they try to push the, for the broadest possible policies. That, that you can get as of year today. And, 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 and that's a good thing. However, there's certain things in the US or in Utah that are just uninsurable items or are extra add-on items. The biggest two items that are always excluded under your typical property policy, whether you're a homeowner or a business or a community, an HOA, would be earthquake and flood. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to talk about earthquake because we don't have time. And then flood uh, is is something we, we need to address because that is actually uh, a, a t- hot topic when it comes to a nasty claim or an excluded claim. And people's uh, uh, understanding what a flood is uh, is very fluid. Um, and, and so what we find is a, a unit owner uh, would see a flood as, as their toilet uh, uh, coming apart yes. and flooding the unit. Your unit's flooded. Uh, it is actually property damage. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and when it's sudden and accidental, I mean, it happens within a very short period amount of time. Your, any, any water pipe breaking in your unit and flooding your unit, flooding the downstairs unit, I would consider that a good claim because it's a covered claim. I was going to say, conversely, I think a lot of unit owners think a flood is what we see on TV as a flood, where a massive amount of water, a river overtakes the whole building, and really that's not a flood. It is a flood, but that's there are other issues of flood that they need to be aware of. Yeah, and so, so, so when we talk about you know, man-made or natural caused floods that are on the outside the building is where it gets tricky meaning that those are not covered because the industry excludes those types of floods. 
uh, whether it's it's water coming off down the street from from when they did construction up the road and 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 they didn't pay attention on where the water run run off and it runs into your basement contractor might be liable but your policy is probably not going to respond to it because that is a flood or like Missy said if, if there's a body of water coming coming over over the shore and flooding you that's a flood uh, but in Utah we have a lot of irrigation system floods that are that are from from the sprinkler system the stuff that waters your plants uh, and it's a constant battle those types of claims if they enter your, the building damage your unit Typically, we find that they're excluded because that is considered a flood. And that's when the claim turns into a nasty claim because people still want to have things remedied and, and, and there's not really a, a, a policy under the current laws that would, would tr tr uh, cover, cover that type of a claim unless you buy a flood insurance policy. But usually they're very expensive and they have very high deductibles. And so most HOAs... In my experiences, we, we try to educate the manager, the board, and the homeowners to avoid those kinds of flood claims from your own sprinkler system, like the plague. What I mean with that is there's a lot of maintenance you can do uh, with slope, landscaping. Slope the landscape away from yeah, the building. Right. Keep, keep Everything the, away from the building, yeah. right. Don't so you it. don't want to water the building, Bayard, is that right? You don't, you don't <laughs> want to put the sprinklers grow. right on the building, <laughs> yeah. on the brick. Yeah, and you don't want to do that. And and and, and I asked a, a, a big insurance company once several years ago. I said, "How come you can't just throw that in for twenty five, yeah. fifty thousand dollars?" And and they're they're a company that specializes exclusively with with unit owner and HOA insurance. That's all they do. And they said, "We we don't feel that's something we want to insure because a unit owner, a, a board, a community ought to have some skin in the game or an interest." protect their property and they feel like if they cover it then just what you said the sprinkler that goes off in the middle of the night and, and sprays the building or the pipe that's that's 50 years old in the ground and we're just hoping it breaks so the insurance will pay for it the insurance company says we're not going to be able to underwrite this or come up with a formula to charge enough premium and so therefore we want the owners the community community have some skin in the game to uh, alleviate some of the problems on their own and quite frankly if there was coverage it'd probably be very expensive and by the time you do the math most boards most unit owners would just say the heck with the charge at the premium we're just going to self-insure if you're a business and as an HOA you really a look, need to look at yourself as a business because you you might be managing 5, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 or hundreds of millions of dollars in assets and you have all this money coming in you need to look at it a business, and if it was your business, you would say, we're not going to file a five or $10,000 issue because of our sprinkler system. That's a maintenance item. We ought to just handle that. And so really kind of, it would be in alignment now what, what I would be considering best practices of maintaining and upkeeping your property and making sure your property values stay strong uh, because you, you've, you've made your property uh, properly and avoiding those sort of small claims that could turn into a nasty claim. That's, boy, that, that's great advice for owners and for board of directors to make sure that we're uh, looking, and for property managers, to be looking at the sprinklers, making sure that the, the landscaping sloped away. Um, just, I know that we, we do everything we can to avoid that, but at some point um, there is going to be a leak in a unit from a sprinkler system. How does that 
claim look versus an H06 claim for the leak from the unit below? Is that... Uh, it's a nasty claim. <laughs> it's a nasty claim. <laughs> it's a nasty claim. So this is the one we're going to come to you and they're going to be hot and screaming and yelling and this <laughs> is going to have the negative connotation. So, so there's a couple of things to think about. One is uh, the HOA could have liability on, on this. And one would say, well, you just said there's no liability. Well, because it's not a covered claim, more, most likely it'll just be the unit owner versus the HOA. And we've seen unit owners uh, sue or try to sue the HOA for, for their negligence or failure to maintain that property because it usually was outlined in the governing documents that the HOA is responsible for the maintenance, repair, upkeep for the limited or common areas, which could uh, or most likely include the water watering system, sprinkler system. And, and, and if the board has it in their minutes or they knew over the past five or six years they've been patched working the, the, the sprinkler system and they had constant issues and water problems and the unit owner actually notified the board and the manager say hey you know my, my unit was damaged you know last year and it happened again in the fall and now you have another one happening this spring I would say that the HOA might have a good chance of being dragged back into a courtroom where the unit owner said you were negligent with, with your duty to maintain and repair that, your, your, the property. Uh, but that's a legal question. You'd probably want to run it by a, an attorney. But we've seen HOAs actually did get targeted because of you know, uh, things that they knew or should have known that was a repeat issue with, with, with maintenance items and they didn't do it or didn't have the funds to do it. And so in, in these events, uh, again, we advised they talk to an attorney and or if they knew we had one that the HOA knew all the roofs needed to be replaced and they just didn't have enough money to do them all, uh, like so many communities are, and they had a roof leak into a unit even, and they knew that building was compromised, uh, we, we, with the attorney, uh, uh, recommended that the HOA just pay for that leak uh, without setting a precedent, that's why you need an, an attorney, because they knew that roof needed to be replaced. It just didn't get the chance to do it in, in, in a timely manner because they weren't going to re-roof in the winter. They were going to wait until they had more funds and do it in the spring. Long story short, those are some, some of the things you probably want to have a good management company like you guys uh, and, and, and solid attorney legal advice to guide the boards through this, this complicated uh, uh, situation so it doesn't turn into a nastier claim than it already is uh, to avoid, avoid litigation <coughs> down the road. So it definitely sounds like it's not black and white for uh, sprinkler systems. It's, uh, I would say it's definitely not black and white. But would you recommend, depending on the level, even though it's entirely possible no policy is going to respond to that claim, would you recommend filing the claim? That's a great question. So, so um, it depends on the size of the claim. Yes, because it have to be greater than the deductible. Ultimately, right. ultimately, uh, in Utah, as an agent, we just merely give you an opinion of what the policy would or should cover, because it, uh, there's not enough information that's usually provided to us. Um, and so you have professionals, claims departments, claims adjusters, or the carriers that are responsible for that. 
and ultimately it lies with the carrier's responsibility to determine whether there's coverage. And if there is coverage disputes, we have um, the Utah Insurance Department that, and, and the legal system that would get involved in, in, in coverage disputes. And so if it's a, 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 deduct, a, a, a claim that's barely above the deductible, my, my, my advice to the board is like, look, it, it's probably not going to be covered. I don't think you need to file a claim for one or $2,000 to go and get turned down, uh, especially if you have an older property that's had some problems with water because you're just going to put the spotlight on your property that you in fact are the type of HOA that's going to possibly have a, more claims down the road. It's just going to hurt you in your wallet. But if it's five, ten, fifteen, twenty, or $100,000 over the deductible, absolutely you need to file a claim for a couple of reasons. One is, <coughs> what if your agent was wrong uh, and there was coverage? Right. Adjusters sometimes can view things a little differently, right? Yeah. Facts of the claim come in different ways. So, so you want to file that claim, and, and importantly for the manager and the board, in two years, when, when somebody remembers that there was a $100,000 claim, and they say, did we file a claim? And then we say, no, we didn't, because Joe, the manager, or Bill, the board member, or Bayout, the agent, said, don't file a claim. It's not going to be covered. Well, we don't really have an official ruling. And, and thus, it could pose a, a liability issue for those parties that give an opinion without like really consulting or, or following due process. And so, therefore, if it's a substantial claim, we always recommend to file a claim so you have it on record that it was declined for this and this reason, or, like Missy correctly stated, potentially would have been covered. And we do not want to leave any money on the table when it comes to insurance. We need to make sure we do what's right uh, by, by the homeowner and the board to make sure that we find every dollar on the policy that there is uh, and the only way to do it is through filing a claim. Yeah. And there is, is, is there there's some uh, restrictions on timeliness of filing a claim, is that right? Is there, I've had that issue before, nothing that I can recall with you guys, but I've had that issue you know, three months down the road, is that too late to file the claim? It depends. There's not really, uh, well, it depends on what line of business you're talking about, but it, it, I would recommend you file a claim sooner than later if you want m money. Um, on a property claim, uh, you, you, the three-month time frame, it could be in a multifamily type of dwelling uh, situation where you think you, you were under the deductible and three months down the road, mm -hmm. the unit owner that didn't talk to you and, and was ignoring everybody now sends you a bill for $30,000 and you as a board or the manager had no idea that that was coming, that's a legitimate way to file a claim and say, hey, we, got, we, got, we, we, need, to, we need to add on to the claim or actually open the claim because we had no idea, we were not aware of. This is actually a more common situation than we might think. Mm -hmm. A lot of unit owners have handled it fully with their personal insurance and then another problem comes up. The, there's yeah. something that didn't get fixed all yeah. the way or another unit's involved that we have no idea. So um, I would say Bayout's right. It depends on the type of policy and property policies tend to be a little bit more forgiving with that timeline. When it, when it comes to directors and officer claim, this is digressing a little bit, but I just wanted to make sure we, we, we make, make, make everybody aware of if there is, is, is a claim or an incident, you want to communicate that with your agent 
and, and, and file a claim sooner than later. We've had communities or, or managers hire attorneys and start uh, getting involved with uh, the legal process without notifying the insurance company. And if you do that, you probably will jeopardize coverage under your DNO policy. Um, and on the liability side, we've had people, you know, slip and fall, that's a common one, or you yeah. have a sprinkler claim, uh, and, and people say, we're going to sue you, or we're going like, to talk to our attorney. Did you have a claim? Do you have an incident? Yes. Does it, necess- does it mean you have to file a claim? Probably not until you have some more documentation that you would need to file a claim. And again, there, there's a, there's a, it's a fluid kind of a process. What you wouldn't want to do again in this situation is uh, go down a rabbit hole with trying to solve it yourself if you're an attorney. You go to court and, and the ruling is awarded against you and then you want to file a claim. I can pretty much guarantee you would not have coverage under that policy. And that is digressing, but we just wanted to make sure filing a claim, it, 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 it should be done in a timely fashion, and that's why you'd want to look to your professionals, your insurance people, to say, hey, uh, what should we do in this situation? And there's nothing wrong with putting an insurance company in notice. What I mean with this, yes, yes. if, it's, a, if it's, it's something that could turn into a, a problem, you, you just want to send an email to your claims adjuster at the insurance company saying, here's what happened, we don't think it's going to be of much, we just want to let you know. And they really don't do anything until something something bigger comes about. But then you protected the rights to claim under that policy and you follow due process. Boy, that's some great advice. That's great advice. Protect yourself down the road. Even though you didn't make the claim, you just put everybody on notice. Just let them know. Just let them know. Communication. Right. Well, is there? Uh, I think this has been really good information, Bayat and Missy. I appreciate you guys coming. I think um, the bottom line here is um, uh, it doesn't make common sense generally that the unit above you is responsible for the damage they caused to your unit. But the state of Utah in 2011 sent something in place to make it efficient and smooth to go through that process. And from what I'm hearing from you, Bayot, is that uh, other states are envious of Utah's law and wish that it were as simple in their state as it, it is here. We hear it from lenders. I don't know what the state people say, but when we're dealing with a lender or insurance uh, Yeah, I've heard it from adjusters as well. Adjusters, yeah. they, they love adjusting Utah claims because it's just clarity. There's no ambiguity. Because at the end of the day, you can say, well, insurance companies just want to bilk us out of every claim dollar they possibly can. And I can tell you, on a you know $100,000 or less claim, the adjuster just needs to crank through this claim because they got 50 more on their table and it makes no sense for them to go and litigate this or hire an attorney yeah. to get an opinion. They just want to take care of business. Yeah. And, and ultimately, uh, that's what the feedback we're getting from lenders or insurance professionals out of state dealing with us in Utah, that they like the clarity that the, the laws have given us in the state of Utah um, with, with, uh, with when it comes to claims and how they handle Insurance. So maybe the benefit to an owner is that, uh, you know, when you have this type of damage and it's your home, it's a big deal and you want to get it done um, quickly. And so maybe these laws in Utah have uh, uh, allow us to get these done more quickly and efficiently without having to uh, negotiate every single one. Um, 
just seems like it would avoid lawsuits and uh, fighting, and it just is more of a process than it is a negotiation. Yeah, yeah, I think our adjusters have learned to work well with each other because they're all working under the same yeah. understanding. So that is, so it's it's helping. It actually benefits and moves things along substantially quicker than if it was in the old system. I agree. Yes, Joe. I know we have to wrap up here, but I got one question <laughs> for you, and I really oh, appreciate no, <laughs> I appreciate the opportunity to come and talk to you. It's always fun today. to talk to you guys. Um, I got one question for you though, like that really is bothering me about your your business, uh, uh, the way you conduct yourself mm-hmm. with your business partners. Is when are you going to bring back the bucket of twizzlers? <laughs> well, um, my my dad instituted that policy uh, um, when he was around, and he died in 2016. So I'm not so sure that um, there was a lot of uh, there. There was a lot of uh, negative feelings about the licorice bucket at the uh, front desk when COVID started. But we will take note of that, Bayot, and know that you are uh, would would you would come and see us more often. You used to if, be one of my had... favorite office to visit. <laughs> And I can't say I feel like that right now, but things might change if there's a bucket of Twizzlers at your front desk. Well, that sounds like it's an emergency. (laughs) We need to get that fixed ASAP. Joe, maybe we can just get a bucket of Twizzlers, his own bucket here at the front desk. (laughs) Very well, my man. Thank you, Joe. We appreciate it. Appreciate you. Hopefully this answered everybody's questions. Okay. Let us know, or uh, Buckner Group, if you have any questions. Awesome.